invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, which is pretty much all the way at the back part of the Bible, right before um, you hit Revelation. 1 Peter, we're continuing our series uh, through this uh, letter written by the Apostle Peter. And um, in our passage today, in a sense, we're picking up right where you all left off. I was out of the country, but where you all left off last week. Uh, verse 12 of chapter 2 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that's the unbelievers, or it's referring to there, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's continuing this theme of how we're to live out our life as believers in front of a watching world to seek to glorify God. But what we're going to find today, at least for me, as I've been working through this book, it's a little surprising the way that Peter describes how we should live out and demonstrate our faith. If I just told you, hey, how do we live out and demonstrate our faith, we might list off some things like praying, going to church, maybe seeking to love other folks around us, maybe sharing the gospel So it's a little interesting to me that one of the first things and the main thing, at least in this passage, that Peter says that we should do to demonstrate our faith to a watching world is to learn the practice of submission. To learn the practice of submission. In particular, we're going to focus today on submitting to the government and its direction in our lives, and then also Submitting in the workplace, submitting in our jobs, even to difficult supervisors. And the message here that I hope we're going to see is that Christ, through his submission, has done a work in our lives, if we trust in him, to free us up. So we're freed, we're liberated by that, we're incredibly free people as Christians. But then we're invited to take that freedom and put ourselves in a place of submission relative, today we'll talk about the government and our workplace, in order for God to be glorified. That's our main theme we want to look at today. And I'll just say as well, uh, try to mention this from time to time, this is a good passage to illustrate part of why we try on a regular basis to work through different books of the Bible together. It helps us in a couple of ways. One, it sort of protects you all against me. In this way, that I can't get on just a hobby horse. This is the pastor's thing that he wants to talk about each week. Working through that book of the Bible says we're going to talk about what the next thing is in First Peter. So it helps us in that way. It also helps all of us in this way. We can't dodge stuff that we might like to dodge. This isn't your sort of feel-good, warm, fuzzy sort of message today, I'll tell you right away. It's a challenging call The submission is pretty difficult, but that's good for us. That's part of why we work through these books of the Bible in the way that we have tended to do uh, as a church. I invite you then to stand with me uh, as we speak about honoring and speak about submission. Our first honor and submission is to God and our primary honor and submission, and this is his word, so we stand uh, with that in mind. I'll read aloud as you read along silently. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. 
be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps." He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, entrusting himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like the sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. You may be seated. And let's continue to approach God's Word in prayer together. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we ask that you would help us today to see the remarkable salvation that's been brought about, Lord Jesus, through your submission and through the freedom that we've received, your call to glorify you and walking in submission in this life. We pray that you would help us to see the beauty of it as you define it in your word. Help us to walk in it as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're uh, closing in pretty quick on that first Tuesday in November, aren't we? And I don't know if you watched the debate this last week. Maybe you're a CNN or Fox News junkie. Maybe you don't pay attention to it at all. Uh, But all of us probably know some of the intricacies and the dynamics of the whole process we're walking through right now as a country. You've got that electoral college and all that's involved in that and the different uh, representatives involved there. You've got the blue states, the red states, the swing states. You've even got this thing that seems kind of absurd to me, but perhaps some people are intrigued by it, this little uh, graph that rolls along the bottom of the screen as they're debating that is uh, supposed to tell us what a certain group of undecided voters are feeling while the people speaking are talking. Got all kinds of dynamics going on. Here's the amazing thing that overrides and overarches this passage today. This whole process, this whole work that's going on in our nation, indeed around the world, it's all under God's sovereign direction and purpose. Do we believe that today? It's a challenging thing to believe. That God's in control of this process, even with less than stellar political leaders. 
You remember the type of person that Peter is uh, calling us to submit to, this Roman emperor Nero. He wasn't a nice guy. When Peter writes this letter and invites us to submit, he's writing about the same guy, Nero, who would later be the one that brings about Peter's own death. That's the kind of call that this is. And it's not just true, we find out in this passage, related to our government to honor and respect and submit, but also in the workplace. In the workplace. Now, certainly this masters and servants language is referring to uh, what, was, what was certainly an oppressive Roman system of slavery. Uh, different, probably more like indentured servanthood, if you remember from your colonial history in America, a little bit less like the racially driven slavery in our, in our country. But, but nevertheless, a call for somebody who's working for somebody else to put themselves under that person and to really serve them even if they're not being treated in the best way. Not the same thing, maybe quite exactly as working at McDonald's or working at the bank or working at the law firm, but it carries over, absolutely. And we can connect with this, can't we? Uh, Whatever our job situation right now, probably particularly in light of the economy, those constraints come in and the pressures increase, and the expectations to do more and more in our job, our boss's expectations of us, for maybe less and less provision, it's a hard thing to maintain an honoring, submissive attitude for us, isn't it? Well, whether it's difficult supervisors at work or imperfect leaders in the government, again, the call of this passage is to recognize in light of what Christ has done, the freedom that we receive through his work of salvation that we're called to voluntarily, for his glory, to submit ourselves in these spheres. You can look in your worship guide if you want and follow along in the notes section at the back. Then I I put it this way, the main idea of our passage, Jesus submitted to free us for salvation, which leads to radical freedom, and bold submission. We, uh, we do freedom pretty well in this country. I'll talk in a minute about that. But let's focus in on this submission element a bit. Because that just, that just almost sounds like a dirty word to us to, to say. And we'll see in a minute as well. We're not talking here about blind submission. Or submission that uh, works against God's purposes or God's plans in our life. Obedience to Him is first and foremost for us. But if we're honest, whether we're thinking about government leaders or the supervisor we have in our workplace, one of the things we're tempted to think all the time is, if I was in that role, I would do things a little bit better. I'd do things a little bit differently. And maybe you would. Maybe you would. But if Peter can say emphatically, that we're to put ourselves under, not in a way that violates our Christian conscience or obedience, but put ourselves under in every other way, a leader like Nero, how much more are we called to put ourselves under the leadership that we're involved in selecting in our democratic society? Let me take it a step forward. I don't think this passage is saying that there's not a place for uh, constructive or good criticism. You look at the prophets in the Old Testament, 
And one of the things they did is a, is a lot of criticism, a lot of directing attention to the kings and leaders where they were off track. But I think the question would be this. What is the ratio of time that most of us spend criticizing and critiquing uh, those authorities in the government or those authorities in our work relative to the amount of time that we uh, put to praying for them and to honoring and seeking to respect them? That's probably a good way to look at it and to ask ourselves that question. I know for me that ratio is way out of balance. I'm way more interested in criticizing than in honoring and submitting. So this is tough stuff. What's the passage tell us then? Well, look with me at verses 21 through 25. We've referenced them already a couple of times in the worship service today. But it tells us this, that all of this flows out of what Christ has done. It starts with him. It's about him. Verse 21, for to you or for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then jumping down to verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So Peter's just saying our lives have been, if, if we've recognized our sin, recognized our need for Christ, that he's paid and met that need and put our trust in him, been transformed by what Jesus has done. And because of his submission, then we're freed tremendously. Let me talk to you a little bit about this freedom for a minute. Because the two seem like, how would they go hand in hand? How does freedom in the gospel fit with submission? Verse 16 tells us a little bit about it. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Peter's just referencing this idea, and we don't have time to turn there and dwell on it, but Galatians 5 states it well when it says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, what is Paul talking about in Galatians? What's Peter talking about here? He's talking about the fact that through Christ, we're tremendously liberated people. The, the thing that keeps us captive most in life, whether we realize it, is our sin. And not only our sin, but our desire to try to secure our salvation through our own efforts and own ability. And Paul and Peter are saying in these two passages that Jesus has freed us up from that. How much freer can we possibly get than to know, to be assured, that when we die, We'll go to heaven. If that's true and we believe it, nothing can phase us in this life. There's nothing that can keep us down, if you will, because we've been freed from the worst thing that could happen to us, death. We've been liberated in that way. You think about how this plays out in life if we would begin to enjoy this freedom, how it would transform and change how we live, our identity would be built uh, not around a materialistic accumulation of stuff that we've got to have, but we'd have freedom to be liberated from that. We don't have to be slaves and servants of our stuff because we have a new identity in Christ. 
We don't have to be servants or slaves to the success, the performance of our kids in athletics, in artistic endeavors, in uh, academics. We don't have to be surrendered to that. We can be freed up to enjoy and love our children, not just because of what they give to us in performance. As a man in this culture, you, you don't have to be a slave to drivenness in success in life. We can be called people. Men who are called and set free in that way. As a woman in this culture, you don't have to be a slave to your image and to your appearance. You can be liberated to know that you're beautiful in the sight of God. It's freeing. I'm just giving you a litany of ways that we're freed. Young people here today, if you're in high school or junior high or elementary school, you don't have to be trapped and slaved to the opinions of those around you and how they view you. If you're in Christ... You have this high status. You've been liberated from that. You're freed up to know that you're loved by God. Think for a minute about Adam and Eve in the garden. They had one tree they weren't allowed to eat. There's a lot of attention given to that tree. Do you remember what else was going on in the garden? All kinds of trees that they could enjoy. Freedom. That story in the Bible is about freedom that they had. But just like them. Uh, we choose not to enjoy the blessings, the beauty of that freedom. So that's the freedom we have. And so the Bible says that actually that's our sort of starting point as Christians. And then what we do is we choose because of who God is, because God's sovereign over these different authorities, to put ourselves in a place of submission. To honor God, we'll see some of the reasons in a minute, and to glorify Him. When the Bible talks about submission, it's talking about just what it sounds like, putting ourselves under, intentionally putting us ourselves in a place of subjection. It's helpful, though, to realize it's, it's not losing our status, but it's recognizing the status of those human leaders. I think Harrison mentioned that when we were praying earlier, which is so important. Let's look then at what this passage says about the government and about the workplace And then what I want to do is answer three uh, tough questions that are probably on our minds. One we're going to look at is why we should do this. The second we're going to look at is what, what about when we have to suffer to do this. And the last one is what are the limits of this? In light of who God is in our life, surely we don't do everything. We don't blindly submit to this authority. How does that work? The government, we're told in verse 13 of 1 Peter, says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor supreme or the governors. It's pretty crystal clear for us. It's interesting, verse 15, it says that this is the will of God. Now, how many of us have been in those places in life where we say, I really want to know the will of God? And what we usually mean is I'd like to know about this decision whether to take this job, whether to date this person, whether to do that, go to this school, whatever it is. It's interesting. The Bible says the will of God. One thing we can know the will of God is, is to follow God in submission to those authorities that are put around us. And it's a good thing for us. And then he sums it up. He says, honor everyone. So that's kind of a blanket statement. Honor everyone. Verse 17 I'm looking at. Love the brotherhood. It, there's a submission that's involved in loving one another. If we choose to love other people, you're submitting to them, using your energy and your gifts to love them. Fear God. There's certainly submission involved in that. And then honor 
the emperor. That's what it says about the government here. Let's look at what it says about the workplace. I already mentioned it, but the uh, verse 18 is the focus verse here. It says, Servants, be subjects to your master with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So, why are we supposed to do this? What's the basis? What's the reason? A couple of things. One, for the Lord's sake. Because of who the Lord is in our lives. This is Peter's leading statement in verse 13. He says to be subject. Why? Because they've got some inherent right to their authority? Or because God just likes for people to be in some kind of chain of command? No. We submit because of the Lord's sake, who He is in our lives. It's with this in mind that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul calls us to pray for our leaders and for those who are in authority because of who the Lord is in our lives. Why else should we do this? Because God's ultimately in control of these leaders. It's not so clear in the First Peter passage, and you don't need to turn there, but Romans 13 verse 1 says this, and I would invite you to jot down Romans 13 if you want to search out this topic a bit more. You can read it on your own. But uh, Paul says there, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Sounds exactly like our passage today. Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Think about how crazy this is when you put it together. Pilate was about to issue the execution order or permission for Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you wouldn't have authority to do this unless it was from God. Even for Pilate and the execution of the Son of God, his authority comes from God. Now, you might say like me, hey, wait a minute, we, uh, you know, millions of us are going to go, let's take that first Tuesday in November, and we've got all kinds of opinions and all kinds of things motivating us, and we're going to go in and check some boxes, and some people might even get confused about what boxes to check, and there's all these local leaders and federal leaders and so forth. That's the way it happens, Chris. It's not God. It's us making selections in people. It's that little ticker tape along the bottom of the debate, people's opinions about what they feel, about what's being said. The Bible says, actually, no. God's the one who's at work. And if it's hard for us to swallow that he's working through a democratic system that's got at least some order and reason to it, he says that God's working through a system, if you know anything about Roman history, of leaders who backstabbed and connived and did everything they could to get in their position of power. If it's true for that, it's got to be true in our day as well. So God's sovereign. He's ultimately in control over this process. And then uh, because of our witness to a watching world. Again, this is interesting. I I, I wouldn't think about it normally on a day-to-day basis, that somehow my readiness to submit in the workplace, my readiness to submit to the government is a big testimony or a big testimony piece for the world. Peter says it is. Verse 12, we, we didn't read it today in our text, But it says that we're to do this that they may see your good deeds and glorify you on the day, and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the purpose. 
verse 15, it says we should do this, that by doing good we should silence ignorant and foolish people. Now, a little context will, will help here. Uh, Peter is talking to a group of people. Now, today, uh, probably most folks, if they were to maybe malign the Christian community, they'd malign them for other reasons than for being sort of anarchists. Most folks would say Christians are pretty decent people, generally going to follow the rules. The early church had a big PR problem. They had a big PR problem in the Roman Empire because they refused to offer sacrifices and recognize the government as Lord, the government as Savior in that ultimate sense. And so to much of the Roman world, the Christians were seen uh, probably a little bit like the Occupy Wall Street movement, kind of anarchy. People just, you know, we just, we just want to shut everything down if we can. Let's shut the system down. So they've got a PR problem, and Peter is saying the way to address that is to honor, to submit in every place that we can as believers. Again, even to a leader as heinous as Nero was. So it's for our witness to the world. That's why we do this. Then quickly I want to talk about what if we have to suffer for this and then what are the limits of all of this. Uh, We're going to have a message in a couple of weeks about a more extended passage later on in 1 Peter where he deals with suffering. The only thing I want you to see for today's purposes is that Peter's not afraid of suffering in the Christian life. He's not a preacher of the prosperity gospel that's so popular in our day. That somehow by coming to faith in Christ, everything in your life, all difficulties are going to be taken away. You're going to be perfectly healthy. You're going to have all the wealth you need. That message that's seeping and oozing and being promoted out through our culture. uh, Peter says no. He says, in fact, verse 19, that's a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. All I want to say this morning is that needs to be fit into our grid of the Christian life in general, as well as particularly in this situation of the suffering that might come to us if we submit. The last thing I want us to touch on is what about when the authorities call us to do something that goes directly against what God tells us to do? Is this a blind submission we're called to? Uh, Absolutely not. Uh, Acts chapter 5, you remember Peter and John were going out and healing and proclaiming the message of Christ to the the world around them, and the authorities called them in. And interesting, it's not just uh, the sort of ruling authorities, but it's the religious authorities, it's the religious leaders. They come in and say this, We strictly charge you, not to teach in the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. And you remember what Peter and the other apostles said? We must obey God rather than men. Rather than men. The Christian believer submits in the workplace or to the government right up to the point that we are asked to step out of God's commands, of God's will. And at that point, we obey God's authority. We're obeying God's authority when we submit to those leaders because he calls us to submit and he's put that structure in place and he's ordained it. But then we also obey when we step outside of it because he's the ultimate authority. 
I like what Martin Luther King Jr. said uh, back in 1963. He wrote, the church must be reminded, listen to this, that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. The church is absolutely called to speak into the culture, to speak into the workplace, to speak into the government, the truth of God. Jesus did this left and right. It's all throughout the Gospels. He's constantly bumping heads against those who were in charge. And then think about Daniel in the Old Testament. If you want a really good case study of this, Daniel captured, brought into this completely pagan uh, empire. Uh, Then through his work and hard effort and service to that kingdom, So he served and worked for this empire that was taking over the whole world. His service elevated him to such a high level that he was honored by that that emperor, that king. And yet the moment that he was asked to bow down, to submit to that leader as the ultimate Lord, to pray to that idol, he refused. He drew the line there for God's glory. So we've got to take a stand in these spheres of authority based on who we are as believers, but we've got to be careful here as well. I uh, had the privilege when I was in St. Louis of leading a summer ministry project for college students, which I've probably shared about before. Uh, we would have you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 college students at this project. They would commit to being a part of it for the entire summer. They would work. We all lived in a particular location together, did discipleship, Bible studies, and so forth. Uh, one particular gal had made this commitment to be a part of the whole summer project. A lot of community dynamics, so you can't just be coming and going. We actually had them sign something that said that they wouldn't miss more than two weekends. Well, she had already asked permission and been able to miss her third weekend. And then she came to me, this sweet little gal, and asked me, who was the director, the authority of the project, if she could go and miss another weekend because she wanted to go hear a Christian music concert. Not a bad thing. Good thing to go do. I explained to her that she'd made a commitment to be a part of this group. She said she felt like the Lord was leading her to go to this Christian concert. So do you want to know what she said to me? She quoted Peter and John from Acts chapter 5. Said, should I obey God or you, Chris? (laughs) That was her response. That was her twist on this. We have to be careful as believers. Yes, we're to submit to God. But we're not to submit to God in a way that we twist God, fit him into what we really want to do, and then spit it back to authorities as our reason for wanting to do what we want to do. Well, let me, re- let me conclude by uh, talking about one other Old Testament figure. Do you remember that encounter between David and that tall guy? I'm not actually talking about the tall guy we mentioned earlier. There's another tall guy that he had an encounter with that in some ways 
to me, is more challenging than even the David and Goliath thing. You remember Saul, the king who had been put in place as the first king of Israel? And all David had ever tried to do was to help out Saul. That's all he wanted to do. He worked for him, you could say. That was his workplace. He was a general. He worked in Saul's army. He defeated Goliath for him because Saul wouldn't go out. Never said anything bad about Saul. Now, God had already declared that Saul was going to be brought down and already declared that David was going to become the king. And you remember that encounter, if you will, that the two had. David was back in the back of a cave fleeing for his life before the armies of Saul. And Saul wandered into that cave without realizing David was back there because it was dark. I think he was going back to do his business. And David crept up behind him. Now just think about how you and I would think about that story. There he is. God said he was going to be brought down. God said you were going to be lifted up, David. Go ahead. He's right there. You've got your knife. David just cuts off a little bit of his cloak so that he can show Saul later on, this is how submitted to you I am. You were right there. I could have killed you. And I bring you this piece of cloth to show you how close I was and that I didn't do that. I'm still, even though you're chasing me, trying to hunt me down, still submitted to your authority. As I said, I'm not sure which is a greater feat to be able to pick up those stones and sling them at that giant Goliath or to be able to hold back because of who God was and is in David's life and because of recognizing God's sovereignty over the authorities around him and to live in that kind of place of submission, to give glory to God, that God would be glorified for the good of our lives, even though we have trouble figuring out how suffering would be good, that it would be good actually for us sometimes to deal with being in that place of submission, even to one who's somewhat unjust. That's a hard thing to take. But because of Christ, because of his submission, because of the freedom that we have through him, we can submit that freedom as he calls us to. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do give you praise and thanks for the way that you work in our lives, even through this calling to submission, which is a very hard pill for us to swallow. And we ask, Lord, that you would magnify in our minds and understanding and hearts the reality of Christ and what he did through his submission and that the beauty of that would become so wonderful to us that you would help us to see the beauty of submission for your sake, for your glory, for a witness to a watching world. We pray this in Jesus' name.